You're listening to A Future and a Hope Radio with Pastor Bill Penna of Calvary Chapel Grace Fellowship in Tuxedo, New York. Join us as Pastor Bill teaches verse by verse through God's Word. You know, these Sanhedrin, they didn't wait for history to happen. They made history. They put the storyboard together. They knew what was going to happen next. You got to think how successful they were with their rhetoric. Literally, the beginning of of Passion Week, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The whole crowd is there putting their clothes on the ground so Jesus' donkey doesn't have to touch the floor, right? Hosanna! One week later, their rhetoric causes them no longer to say Hosanna, right? What do they say now? Crucify him. Have you ever experienced a random act of kindness from a stranger? Did it make you want to show your own kindness to others? Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know that you can never show enough kindness to others. There is no limit to how much you can love and be loved. Let your kindness be infectious to others and use God's love to further His kingdom. Don't burn yourself out. Let God work through you and be a ray of light to your world around you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Acts chapter 4 as he begins his message, How to Live Like an Apostle in an Apostate World. Open those up to the book of, what book are we in? Acts. The book of Acts, open those up. The Acts of the Apostles, we'll be looking at chapter 4, Acts 4, verse 5 through 14. If you also want to take a little marker, put it in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. And if you're taking note, the title to the message is How to Live Like an an Apostle in an Apostate world. How to live like an apostle in an apostate world. You go, "Uh, pastor, I don't even know that word, let alone be able to spell it. You know, the word apostate means it's an idea of God's people, even those claiming to know God, beginning to reject outright the truth of the Bible, and then also beginning to spread false things as if they were true. And you know, if you're paying attention, whether you know it or not, we're living we're living in some spiritually dark days, but we'll see in the text before us, we're going to be just fine. God foresees these things. He's already given us examples of them in his word, and we're going to see what his solutions are. So Father, Lord, our Bibles are open. Lord, as opposed to just going through a religious ritual, we're asking you to draw us unto yourself today. God, we pray, remind us, Lord, that your mercies are new every single day. And today, Lord, once again, God, we open your word and we're asking for you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. We're asking you to refresh us. We're asking you to renew us, Lord. We're asking you, restore us, Lord. If we've stumbled, if we've fallen, restore us, God. Revive us. Lord, we make a conscious choice and a decision right now to block out, Lord, all the distractions the problems, the temptations, the trials. We want to love you today with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter four, I read this story this week. I was reminded of it. It's a group of approximately 50 Christians in Russia. Have you guys ever heard of Russia before? Yes, I'm sure you have. They gathered 50 Christians in a secret church meeting. They were off in the woods outside of Moscow to pray, to fellowship. They were learning God's word. Even in these, even in these underground churches, they have pastors and leaders. It's really amazing. 
And they were enjoying a wonderful time in God's presence when suddenly they heard a pounding on the door. You know, the door, the room was shaken. Upon answering it, they saw a Russian officer with two soldiers by his side with their AK-47s and full uniforms. Overwhelmed with fear, those gathered didn't know what to do, so they froze. The officer said, I am going to give each one of you a chance to not go to prison, but the pastor and other leaders cannot go and they will be arrested. If you leave now, I will not arrest you. One by one, they slipped out the door saying, I'm sorry. And approximately only 20 people were left. The officer again gave one last chance to those gathered, but not one of them moved. They said, we are willing to go to prison for our Jesus. With that, the officer sat down beside them the two soldiers put down their weapons and said, we're Christians. We wanted to join you in worshiping Jesus, but before we revealed ourselves, we had to weed out any of those among you who are easily moved. We're gonna look at this morning, Acts chapter four, verse five through 14, and we are looking at the record of scripture. The book of Acts is a historical document, church. It is God's word, but it's also a historical document. I cannot emphasize enough. I beg you as we study the book of Acts to not see this as some, you know, fairy tale stories from religious writers and recognize this. Dr. Luke is doing the writing. He's very specific. This is corroborated by Jewish historian Josephus, extra biblical writers, even secular historians look at the book of Acts and they, they glean information from it as a historical document. But as we look at it, the reason why I say that is I want you to realize these are real people. Can I say real people? people. These are real people. Like Peter and John ate breakfast, right? They had good days and they had bad days. The apostles, just because they walked with Jesus and were filled with the spirit, weren't perfect people. They were still people. Because they were people, guess what? They weren't perfect. That's how it works. But these were real people that were really being changed and there were real challenges that were in front of them that they were facing. And we've been seeing that through the book of Acts. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we saw Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, there was only 120 Christians. On all of planet earth, there was 120 Christians, church. And they were gathered in the upper room doing what Jesus said. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the father. And boy, did God keep his promise, didn't he? The Holy Spirit came upon him. Peter finally, now filled with the Spirit, had something to say. Before, he just talk, 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 right? Now he has something to say. He preached. The Bible tells us there, 3,000 souls. So now the church has exploded 3,120 Christians on planet Earth, right? And we looked at last week as Peter and John, just because God used them greatly, they still went to the hour of prayer. I love that. I was talking to a very close friend of mine in Florida. We were just talking about what God's been doing. He was asking me about up here. And I was like, yeah, it's just, Jesus is still Jesus. You know, <laughs> so said, just because of the stuff you read in the news, gospel is still the gospel, the Bible is still the Bible. He was excited. And he said something to be a really minister to me. He says, you know, in these days we have to dream big, but we have to do little. <laughs> you know, he says, everybody wants to dream big and they're only willing to do big. He goes, this is the pastor of a very large church, one of the largest churches in America. And he says, you got to dream big, but you got to do little. He's always emphasized that to me, and I've always appreciated it. He's like, Bill, don't miss the little things. Don't miss them. 
And it's true. And the, the apostles, though they preached the gospel, 3,000 were saved. Now you see Peter and John, hey, what do you want? We're going, I'm going to the prayer. That's what I do. You know? So they're on their way to prayer. As they're going, the lame man is outside. He looks at them, asks them for money. They said, we don't have any money for you. But what we have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Remember? He gets up. He leaps. It's exciting. And then Peter sees the crowd gathering, preaches another message. So God uses Peter's gift of gab now. Now his gift of gab is anointed with the Spirit. And now we see at the end of our section, verse 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 4, that at that point they say the number of men in the church was up to 5,000. This is the whole church. You might say, well, that's a big church. No, that's the entire number of Christians on the planet. And that's where we begin it. Acts chapter 4, verse 5, watch this. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers... Elders and scribes, verse 6, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, notice here, they were gathered together at Jerusalem, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, these are Peter and John, they've been arrested for who knows what, right? Some law they made that's ridiculous, right? They've been arrested for preaching the gospel and healing a lame man. And they set him in the midst and they asked, by what power, note here, or by what name have you done this? Number one, how to live like an apostle in an apostate world. Number one, if you want to be used of God, you want to live victoriously in your Christian life, number one, you need to realize you plus God equals a majority. This is so important. It is so important. You know, we often talk about peer pressure with children, but peer pressure doesn't end when you get out of school, guys. I mean, this is how they, you know, they, they sell products. They understand. You have whole departments of people in every single company that are psychologists, and they study human behavior, and they know how to make you think you cannot live without what they have. And this goes into different things. But now Peter and John, you know, they almost lucked out because not only did they miss that class in college, Peter and John didn't go to college. We'll see in a minute. This is not an anti-college message here. I'll get a couple emails. That's all I'm saying. But I'm saying that's just a fact of the text. Peter and John now, they've been arrested for being used of God. Peter and John have now been arrested. They're standing in the center of the Sanhedrin. For you notators, the Sanhedrin is 70 plus one. It's 70 of a mixture of Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious scribes. These were the power brokers of Israel. These were the political operatives. This would be like Congress today, right? And the 70 were these people, and the plus one was the high priest. At this time, we see he's gathered there. His name is Annas. He's the appointed Jewish high priest by the Jewish people. It's not like America. They were not elected. You know, a lot of, lot of, lot of false, I, it's almost surprising. Sometimes I don't realize what people don't, like what they don't know. It's really interesting. But a lot of false ideas, like our, our constitution, right, our form of government came, it's very interesting. You know, in order for even some of the lies that are going out today to even begin to process, they had to remove the Ten Commandments from courthouses across our country. But our founding fathers, it's, it's kind of interesting because there's like a revisionist history right now that's going on. It's very thick. It's very aggressive. But even with that, I mean, if you go to Washington, D.C., and you look at these monuments, you look closely, they had engraved, there's Bible verses everywhere. Just like on the, the Dome of the Rock in, 
in, the, in Jerusalem, on the top of the dome, it says, you know, Allah, you know, does not have a son. He has not begotten. Like Muslims tell you, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't claim to believe in Jesus. We believe that he is not God. They put that on the inscription of the Dome of the Rock because that's what they believe. Now, in America, we say that's not what they believe. No, they, they wrote it on their building. They, they believe it. But we did the same thing in our country. When this country was started, it was built on the Bible. That's not an argument. That's what it's almost like, well, that's debatable. It's not debatable, guys. We have history. You could go to these, these monuments. There's Bible verses all over them. They dedicated this to the Lord. Do you know that in the United States of America, that you could not get public, fun- you could not get government funding to start a school in your town if you did not teach the Bible? Did you know that? And now we hear separation of church and state, right? A lot of these things, though they've been accepted and people go, separation of church and state, I go, you've never read the Constitution, have you? Because they don't say that in the Constitution. You know, in the United States Congress, up until the late 1950s, do you know the largest church in Washington was actually Congress? Every Sunday, 2,000 people would gather in Congress to praise and worship Jesus and read, learn the Bible. And you know, still to this day in Congress, I encourage you, go someday. You go into Congress, you see, where, you see what the cameras always get? If you turn around and you look at that wall, there is a giant mural of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. The founding fathers had no idea of what they're talking about today, separation of church and state. George Washington said, it is impossible to govern the nation without God and the Bible. This is, the, this is who these people, Peter and John, are up against. They've been brought into the Sanhedrin, what is to be a religious body, a religious ruling class, but they are not. They're just political operatives. These are 71 of the most powerful and influential men in Israel versus two fishermen. And they've taken these two fishermen and they've brought them into their Colosseum, so to say. But you know what? You may look and go, that's not fair. I think a lot of Christians today are looking at the world going, it's not fair. It's not fair. There's too many people that are not following Jesus. There's too many lies. There's too... And you know what? I think the same thing. It's not fair for the 71. Because these two fishermen had Jesus and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I have pity on anyone who would stand against them. You plus God equals a majority. If you are following the crowd, I can almost guarantee you, you're wrong. It is almost a guarantee. When the crowd is aborting babies at a number we have never seen in human history, I wouldn't recommend going that direction, right? Because the wages of sin is death. At some point, God says, my cup runneth over. And I'm not talking about with joy. And Peter and John now are standing before them and they look at them and they say, by what power or by what name have you done this? You know, this word power for you note takers, it's the Greek word dunamis, dunamis. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's where we get our English word for dynamite. Basically, the, the, the Sanhedrin is looking at these two fishermen who had been with Jesus and they go, who supplied you your dynamite? Like, where are you getting this power from? How are you smiling in the midst of this trial? How are you having peace? How is your mind not unraveling like the rest of ours? And you just see Peter going, oh man, this is good. They don't stand a chance. Church, I'm telling you right now, the church of Jesus Christ, if we literally just tap into the resources of God, 
the world does not stand a chance. It's true. What power? And then he says, by what name? The Greek word is onama. It's authority. They look at him and go, who is giving you the right to do these things? Who's giving you the right? You know, if you're, you know, in a relationship and your spouse, your significant other looks at you and, and says, who do you think you are? Can I give you a little piece of advice, especially for the brothers here? Just back up. Just back up. Don't, don't say, you, don't do that. Just do your fool. I'm me. I'm sorry. God bless you. Jesus loves you, right? Just back away. But that's okay. They're like, who do you think you are? Like, you're not one of us. You're not part of our political operation. You know, these Sanhedrin, they didn't wait for history to happen. They made history. They put the storyboard together. They knew what was going to happen next. You got to think how successful they were with their rhetoric. Literally, the beginning of, of Passion Week, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. The whole crowd is there putting their clothes on the ground so Jesus' donkey doesn't have to touch the floor, right? Hosanna! One week later, their rhetoric causes them no longer to say Hosanna, right? What do they say now? Crucify them. It works. They divide. They divide. That's what they do. They say, by what power? By what name? And I think Peter just might have an answer for them. Watch this, verse 8. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice here, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, Notice this, verse nine. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, they say, if you're gonna put us in court because we took a lame man who couldn't walk from birth for 40 years and begged at the temple and you're gonna condemn us for this, really? And by what means he has been made well, verse 10, he says, let it be known to you all. He says, you wanna know? Peter says, well, I'm gonna tell you. And to all, all the people of Israel. Peter says, I'm going to talk so loud, I want people outside of the Sanhedrin to hear what I'm about to say. To all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you. You see that next word? What does it say? Whole. Circle that. He's made whole. Jesus touched him. He's alive. He's well. God's changing him. Verse 11, he says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become, notice here, the chief cornerstone. This is it. Number two, if you're taking note, how to live like an apostle in an apostate world, number two is don't leave room for fear. You can't leave room for fear. You can't leave room for it. Peter here, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? He was filled. The Greek word means filled right then. This was a fresh new filling. At that moment, God put his spirit right in and upon him. Catch this. Peter, two months earlier, you remember two months earlier? You just rewind. Not Two months is not that long ago. It wasn't that long ago for them. Two months earlier, Jesus was taken by Judas and the band of, people, uh, of these Jewish soldiers to, to be brought to the high priest courtyard. Where there he was beaten. He was, you know, that's where they ripped out his beard. They spat on him. And Peter and John followed. Peter gets there. You know the story. They ask him, you're one of his disciples. You know, John was a regular sized guy. Peter was a giant. They're like, we know you. You're Peter. We know. You talk with a Southern accent. You're from Galilee. We know you're not one of us. No, I don't know him. Three times he denies Jesus. 
And he's in this courtyard of Annas and Caiaphas. He's in the senator's office area. And they're saying, you're opposition to us. Peter backs down. But now Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to note this. Peter had already been baptized in the Holy Spirit just a few days ago on the day of Pentecost. But what this shows us is just because you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you don't need regular fillings of the Spirit. You know, one of the great challenges of Christianity is that so much of the church has focused on what you and I shouldn't do. Right? Christianity in its modern form, I fear, this is not how the Bible teaches it, but Christianity fundamentally is often about what you're, you don't do. People say, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I don't do this anymore. I don't do that. And listen, you shouldn't. But that's not the, that's not the heartbeat of following Jesus. It's not about what you don't do. It's about what you, about what you do. Right? So it's not, don't be afraid. It's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to be afraid. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter here is filled with the Holy Spirit to such a degree that there was no room for fear. Now, listen, I want you to understand this. While they're gathered in the Sanhedrin, these two men are in the center. For you note takers, you could jot it down. Deuteronomy chapter 13. You you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're not just, they're they're very clever at what they do. Their rhetoric is very good. They know how to divide people. And they know in Deuteronomy 13, Moses had told them in that Old Testament book, he had said, listen, if a prophet comes on the scene, performs miracles, does signs and wonders, but he does it in any other name other than the God of the Bible, then he tells them in verse five, you're to stone them. Now, I have here with me, Anybody wants to, anybody want to be a part of this illustration? Come on forward. No takers. But you get it. This is, it wasn't like, they didn't take pebbles and boop, boop, boop. Like, I, you know, sometimes you watch in these movies, you're like, I don't even think there are stones that small in Israel. I've been there. It's like, no, they, this might be a small one. They take the stones and these Pharisees, Pharisees, Sadducees, these religious elites, when they brought Peter and John in, they were, they, I'm telling you right now, They had stones behind their back. They say, so what name did you heal in? They're waiting. They didn't ask them that to learn or to say, man, we want to see more people who are broken healed. They were going, oh, I hope he says the wrong answer because then, I'm not kidding you. They were ready. This is what Peter and John were up against. You know, you and I think, man, the persecution The the opposition, it's too strong. Their lives were on the line in that moment, but filled with the Holy Spirit, they confessed Jesus Christ. And it wasn't because they went to a great conference. It was because they were filled with the Spirit. This is what he says here. We must be filled with the Spirit, church. It's the difference. It's the difference. And Peter says to him there, note this, the stone which was rejected by you builders has become the chief cornerstone. These, these, Sanhedrin, these Jewish elites knew exactly what he was talking about. Peter was talking about the the building of the temple. He was talking about approximately 70 years earlier when they built the temple. There's a well-known Jewish story that while they were building the temple, I'll read it to you. Tradition has it that in the days of the construction of Solomon's temple, although the engineers at the temple mount searched and searched, they could not find the cornerstone.
We're so glad you tuned in today for a future and a hope radio. There's more to learn from Acts. So join us next time. Before we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to know if you'd be interested in being a part of our team here at A Future and a Hope Radio. We value having prayer partners who are seeking God for direction for this ministry. We'd be so thankful to have you team with us. Another impactful way you can serve this ministry is by considering giving financially to A Future and a Hope Radio. Pastor Bill and all of us involved in this ministry are excited to see what God will do with His Word, reaching people near and far. If you'd like to be a part of this by giving, there's an easy way to do that. Simply go to ccgfchurch.org and find the Give tab. Can we just say thank you for even considering this? What a blessing. If you're ever in the Hudson Valley area, we'd like to invite you to come visit us at Calvary Chapel Grace Fellowship. You'll find all the details you need at ccgfchurch.org. With that said, our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading in the book of Acts to keep learning and being amazed by the great acts that God accomplished through His people. This should empower you and also give you a future and a hope radio.